The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. This is Ken Smith sitting next to Ethan Broga. Good afternoon, Ethan. Hey, Ken. This show is designed to share with you prudent financial planning and investment advice to help you make a lifetime of smarter financial decisions. Uh, You can call in on the show while we are recording live here for uh, broadcasting live. Right. December 19th uh, from Seattle. And the number, if you want to join us, is 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can shoot an email to us during the program, and you can do so at contact at empiradio.com. Contact at empiradio.com. If you are a first-time listener to the program, Ethan and I are both certified financial planners. I have a master's degree in financial analysis, and Ethan has a master's in financial planning. And our objective with this program, again, is to share prudent investing and varying uh, financial planning advice. And one of the things we do frequently on the program, Ethan, is go into the financial media and look at the different articles that are being produced out there, and we evaluate them. When they're good, we uh, like to read them and share them as ideas. Mm-hmm. When they're not so good, we like to point out the way that uh, you know what gets printed isn't always the most accurate or best way to make financial decisions. And, and so, in a way, we kind of hold them accountable. So, I like that. We've got several articles we can talk about on today's program, Ethan. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the order was we'll, we'll do a little quick, as we're getting close to the end of the year, do a quick market overview, talk about some of the different investment asset classes, and then roll into some of the uh, the investment and planning topics. Before we do all of that, if you wouldn't mind telling our listeners how we may be able to help them. Yeah, thanks, Ken. Well, sure. Um, yeah, if you're an individual investor out there looking for uh, perhaps some, some help with your portfolio, perhaps you're looking for some help on tax planning or cash flow planning or things related to retirement especially, uh, you know, we'd love to get together and, 
and talk about what your situation is and, and then how, I, how we might be able to help. Um, it's possible. Feel free to give us a call here at the Empirical Towers at uh, 206-923-3474. 1-800-923-4307 if you're outside of the Seattle market. Yeah, I always tend to give the, the nod, but that's a, that's a good point, Ken. Thanks. As for Ken or Ethan, we'll be happy to, to speak with you. Um, also, something as simple as a portfolio review. Second opinion on that, he would happily do that as well. Yes. And I, I do have one more thing, Ken. Um, oh, okay. I wanted to mention. Um, I have something, too. If you would, would like to get together and join one of our five, six secrets of retirement success presentations, we're actually doing uh, two shows, actually, up in, uh, in uh, Edmonds coming up in January. So if maybe your, your New Year's resolution is to get these things in order, uh, investments, tax, and retirement, uh, probably would be a good idea to come join us up there. Uh, it'll be held on January 27th at 6 p.m. at the Edmonds Conference Center, and then also again on Thursday afternoon at 11:30 at the Edmonds Conference Center. Uh, that is January 30th. So uh, you know, and I think these are great. I we, we tend to work with clients that have a, a little more in assets than the average person, um, typically a uh, million dollars or more. Right. But the great thing about the educational seminars that you do, Ethan, mm-hmm. uh, and that we want to do and with some of the book material that we're putting together right. into a book is we really do want to reach out and help everyone uh, the best we can. I think if you do happen to have uh, a million dollars of investable net worth, it's well worth talking to us one-on-one. I think that's the best way to get that information and the value of what we do as advisors. But uh, you know, we want to we give everyone an opportunity to get this information and uh, if you can't get to the seminar because you're somewhere else in the country, I know you've put it on on our website, empirical.net, and there's a presentation on there that contains some of these retirement uh, secrets that you've... That's exactly told. right. Yeah, and, and in, in the presentations, we don't get into uh, an overabundance of detail. What we're trying to communicate is a couple of key ideas with the various the six secrets that we talk about. Just so you have more information after you've... you've uh, been through the presentation than you came in with. And, you know, Ethan, you were talking about what we do as advisors, and I, I just was handed this, uh, an article here, I want to, uh, or a news uh, release. Mm-hmm. Um, Merrill Lynch, um, Merrill Lynch, uh, in a, two, a $132 million SEC settlement um, over faulty disclosures on, on derivatives. And I, I think one of the things about the way we've structured our company is we don't make money in any other way than providing advice to our clients. And we separate that from many of the investments we do. Um, and in this case, uh, Merrill Lynch will pay $131.8 million to sell charges. It uh, misled investors about three structured debt products before the financial crisis. Uh, the SEC said Thursday that the brokerage, the largest brokerage by client assets, failed in 2006 and seven to inform investors that a hedge fund uh, influenced the selection of collateral that backed certain debt products. So basically, um, what they did is they they had this this, uh, affiliation with this hedge fund manager who was shorting um, the collateral. And um, yes, yes. They were they were short selling the collateral that the Merrill uh, Lynch company was selling. Um, you know, the, the investors didn't have the benefit of knowing that the hedge fund um, had its own interests and was heavily involved behind the scenes in selecting the underlying portfolios. Um, 
They marketed these complex CDO investments using misleading materials that portrayed uh, an independent process for collateral, collateral selection that was in the best interest of long-term debt investors. Um, and so the hedge fund basically hedged its stock positions by shorting against the collateralized debt. Um, but at the same time, uh, Merrill was selling the debt to their clients. So, um, you know, it, we, we I, I like to point this out because it's, I mean, how many times are we read these articles? Yeah, it's, and, uh, it's a lot of times. I think we are slowly helping in winning the battle uh, of, of the independent model. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking about one of the you know, market timer guys, <clears throat> yeah, saying that independence will be out of business because of the broker term. It's I don't see that happening unless the brokers really, really change their model. Because where the growth has occurred in our industry mm-hmm. has been in the in the independent model. Yeah, no question. And uh, particularly, you know, over the last couple of decades, the going away from the commission based um, a- approach to providing advice to investment solutions to more fee-only um, has been the going trend. We can argue about, you know, the merits of both, but, but that is, that's been the trend. I mean, and uh, in situations where the investment company that is providing the advice has these other proprietary um, connections, uh, the commission thing isn't even the real issue there. It's it's how they're structured. You know, you've got one part making money, um, you know, by short selling a product that is being sold to an end client, and and that's bad. <laughs> you don't have sure. to be a rocket scientist to figure that that's not not a good thing. So yeah, um, if you're looking, you know, if you're if you're working with one of those companies and you haven't had a bad experience, I, I think that's great. I would still look into an independent model. That's my advice. And uh, it was funny, Ethan. I was uh, as I was reading through some of these articles. There was an investment news article from back in in June that um, the guy Dave Ramsey does a radio show. Yeah, he's written some books, mm-hmm. and I, I he's really targeted to the to which I, I can appreciate that he has targeted his message. I think to very um, beginning investors and. Um, you know, people that have aren't not only are they are they not of a high net worth, but in some cases a negative net worth because of large amounts of debt mm-hmm. and and the message that he has sent. But he got into a big uh, battle with a bunch of independent advisors because he was giving out some advice that um, when he was projecting unreasonably high, I guess, uh, forward stock market returns, something in in the, the range of twelve percent a year, hmm. which is we get to our. our up- here last year that that <laughs> certainly wasn't a problem right um, but it, would you put that into your financial plan for a long period of time right. I guess some advisors had some issues with that and they were commenting on it but the the, the other issue that they had was that he was he was really um, he's a proponent of um, commission based brokers and he has a pr- program where he you can sign up to be one of those if you pay him a fee you can sign up to be one of those his records the brokers and um, anyway, you should look it up. It's in there. It's kind of funny to see the um, one of the guys that I know you like, Kitches, who um, does Kitches Report. Yeah, he had some. He even chimed in on these comments. Really? going back and forth. But uh, um, 
he made, he just made some kind of outrageous statements that you know he said I help more people in ten minutes than all of you combined in your entire lives, um, which seems like a very playgroundish uh, kind of thing to say. He might be a little upset when he wrote that or something. But anyway, um, my point of just bringing that up was I I, I still think that the that um, a an independent model and um, as much as you can remove the conflicts surrounding commission and sure. other product sales. Yeah, we it's, a, it's a much better approach. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, where are we at here, Sam? We got a couple of minutes, or what, what, what do we got? Two minutes? Okay. Well, Ethan, do you want to um, you want to kind of run through the market out? Uh, sure, what up? Before we get, and then when we come back from the break, we'll get into the other okay. stuff. Okay. Yeah, well, the year's coming to a close very quickly. Obviously. A screeching halt. <laughs> Something like that. All right. Uh, and it's been a pretty darn good year for stocks all across the board. Uh, looking at many of the categories here, which we track uh, year to date, we have um, looks like the Dow Jones right up about twenty four percent. We have the S and P five hundred up twenty six point eight percent. Large cap growth twenty nine point seven. Large cap value twenty eight point seven. Uh, here, here's where it really gets interesting. Looking at small cap stocks, uh, small cap growth in this case thirty eight percent. Wow. Small cap value. Thirty percent, pretty amazing. I was looking at the the other some of the other returns, such as uh, microcap stocks, before the the show, and that's up forty percent for the year to date so far. Uh, pretty remarkable mm-hmm. time for those. Just year to date, not even you know for the whole year yet. Uh, international stocks still very positive there as well, though less so than in the U.S. Um, roughly sixteen cent percent across the board there for large cap, large cap value, and large cap growth stocks. Uh, and then we hit the emerging market area, still negative for the year to date, negative seven percent. Um, so not they're, they're, they certainly are lagging behind in the emerging markets right now. Uh, interestingly, gold, as you mentioned before the show again, Ken, uh, negative twenty eight percent so far year to date. And you mentioned something it was a three year low. Is that right? There's a uh, article right now um, on the Wall Street Journal online, and uh, the um, gold sinks to a three year low. And uh, maybe we can talk about that a little bit after. All right, after the break. Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, matter of fact, I think we need to take a break. Why don't we do that? We'll come back, finish the market update, and uh, and then move on onward and upward from there. Uh, Empirical Investing Radio. We'll be right back after this break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Did you ever stop to think that financial health can be a lot like physical health? The financial physician, Luce Katigna, has helped people on the radio for nearly 15 years. And now he's part of the Voice America Business Channel. 
By using medical analogies to discuss financial solutions, Lou actually makes the process easier to understand and will help you chart your own financial fitness. Tune in to The Financial Physician, live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time, and on demand anytime on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Okay, we're back on uh, Empirical Investing Radio, and uh, Ethan, we were prior to the break. We were going through the market update, right? Yeah, we had just recapped the, the U.S. stocks, uh, international stocks, and emerging market stocks. We commented on gold here, down about twenty percent so far this year, and uh, again about a three-year low. It sounds like according. Yeah, to I was just saying in the article in the uh, right now in the Wall Street Journal, gold. Uh, Sinks to a three-year low. Precious metal on track to end a 12-year bull run. New York gold slid to the lowest price in three years after the Federal Reserve said it would cut back on easy money policies deployed to steady the U.S. economy. Gold for February delivery, the most actively traded contract, fell 41.40 or 3.4% to settle at 1193.6 a troy ounce. The lowest price since August of 2010. So, yeah, over three years um, on the COMEX division of the New York Mercantile Exchange. Front month gold for the December delivery fell 4110 to 1195, also a three year low. Gold declines, prices are down 28% in 2013. Um, I'm showing over the last 12 months to date, we're down about 30.32. Is that what you said, Ethan? Um, right. So, it is, uh, you know, Erased much of the gains that um, that uh, were made in the wake of the financial crisis and have gold on track to end the 12-year bull run. On an annual basis, gold hasn't lost ground uh, since 2000, though. Gold's latest slump began after the close of regular trading on Wednesday as the Fed announced it would begin trimming bond purchases next month. Investors bought gold amid the risk of Europe falling off the map, the risk associated with U.S. spilling back into a recession, uh, said a, a A.V. Hirschman, Chief Investment Officer with Newgate Capital, because those did not happen, the need and the desire for safety, uh, a safety net disappeared. Some high-profile investors had warned that the Fed's unconventional measures aimed at spurring economic growth would stoke inflation and weaken the dollar, which would erode returns as the Fed started to aggressively cut interest rates in the run-up to the financial crisis. Many money managers piled into gold as a form of protection. <laughs> in response, gold's future soared from about 650 an ounce before the Fed's uh, first rate cut in 2007 to a peak of 1900 Not bad during a falling uh, 
equity market. I mean, a, just a collapsing equity market. For sure, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, if you were fortunate enough to get into gold at that time, uh, you did really well. Mm-hmm. Um, despite the waves of cash the Fed and the other central banks pumped into the financial system, inflation has remained subdued, tarnishing demand for gold as a hedge. Uh, its traditional appeal is a haven. Investment in times of financial and political turmoil has also been receded by Europe's debt crisis and budget tensions in Washington, D.C., both cooling. The stock market's strong performance this year has also undermined the case for investing in gold, which yields nothing and in many cases costs money to hold. To be sure, some traders expect gold prices to stabilize as lower prices attract buyers' interest from both U.S. and European investors and from buyers in Asia who usually purchase gold in the form of jewelry or bars and coins. Uh, quote from uh, David Gavet, head of precious metals at brokerage firm Merrick Spectrum, says, uh, I don't subscribe to the theory that it's all over for the bullion market. I do think we will try uh, the downside again, but on the whole, I would be a buyer of the dips if we do manage to break below $1,200, uh, which looks like we did. So, um you know, we've continued to say that hey, gold may have a good place as a portion of your portfolio, and particularly as jewelry. And I was going to recommend, Ethan, with a 30% discount, you might want to – I know Christmas is just around the corner. Uh, and I know your wife, she <laughs> probably wouldn't turn down a nice um, gold uh, That's very thoughtful of watch. You. You're thinking uh, of ways for me to save money but also uh, make very nice yeah. gifts for my wife. Yeah, I mean 30% discount. These are, these are genius ideas. Yeah. That's now true. would be a great time. I mean, um, you know. Do you think? Do you think the gold prices? Uh, I mean, obviously they affect Julie, but do you think they move right in tandem? Like they, will they lower the prices that much? Just based on, you know, I, mean, I wonder how that works. Well, I mean, I, I certainly think, cheaper now than before. Uh, I have a brother who who happens to be a jeweler, and then oh. certainly when his cost of gold goes up, it's he has to mark the, the merchandise up to reflect that to retain the same amount of margin. That's true. Um, so yeah, I do. I, huh. I don't know that it's in perfect tandem. I, I don't right. think if you go down to the Tiffany store. Today, the, it's the, the market daily. prices are three three percent less than they were. Yeah, probably, um, not, probably not. Or a week ago. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I think uh, a little uh, slowly they do. It certainly affects the right. pricing. Well, I have to remember that's a good idea. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I'm just throwing out ideas, and uh, hopefully she won't be disappointed now if, if you don't <laughs> produce, as it were. <laughs> well, I'm sure she's listening to the show, so the cat's out of the bag right now. Yeah, the cat is out. Um, that's a, that's a bell. Oh, the kitty is running, running wild. Oh, I see. Um, That's okay, right. so do we? What do we have here? We got three minutes. A little, little more time. Plenty of time. Tons of time. Good, good. Well, I thought, Ethan, um, we could talk a little bit about a couple more of these articles. Mapping out next year's game plan. That sounds good. Uh, articles, Eric, our director of research, hands me, and um, a great year for the for stock. Raises the question of how 2014 will be. Now is the time to think about it. You know, think about it. Sure. And uh, this year's gone great for stocks. This was a, uh, a week or two ago here. Uh, far more, far better than investment gurus predicted. Mm-hmm. I think there's a huge lesson just in that. Every time that that does happen, over and over again. In fact, the S and P 500 finishes year. Uh, it could be among the where it is. It could be among the top 15 years for performance since 1928. Woo! That's pretty cool. Top year performance is 1928? Uh, well, one of the top 15. You know, oh, you got to tweak and massage these things to get the same appeal. But yeah, top 15. 
Uh, still 15, though. That's 15 good. 15 years. That's darn good. Point. Yeah, it's nothing to, uh, nothing to cry about. Right. That would be, uh, I mean, I feel pretty comfortable saying that. The question investment advisors and their clients must contemplate is what will 2014 bring? And the answer to that question will determine investment tactics going forward. Should clients take some of the gains off the table this year and rebalance uh, their portfolios? Or should they let their winnings ride? If they have been underweight equities during this bull market, should they increase their equity commitments now or is it too late? Mm-hmm. And you're, you know, it's funny, real quick, Ethan, uh, you, we were mentioning the Fisher thing. As I was reading the Wall Street Journal article, his little ads are popping up constantly. <laughs> yeah. Say, uh, if you have a half a million dollars, but only if you have a half a million dollars, uh, go ahead and download his report. And it'll tell you the key thing is should you be selling stocks right now? Um, and then it talks about their stock market forecast. And my advice is stay away from that kind of stuff. Come on. Um, yeah. You know, I've coined that approach, the crystal ball approach. Yeah. And you know, as I know, that uh, no one has a per- perfect crystal ball, that's for sure. So, I mean, I guess. Let me save you the time of reading the article. They don't know what the market is going to do. That's yeah. the point at the beginning of this. Right. Um, anyway, uh, these are among issues. They're all great questions, and I think a lot of people do are, are reflecting on them. That's why I thought it was a reasonable article to look at. And then we can give our perspective on how to approach this. Ethan, I'm on the edge of my seat. I want to hear what you think all right. um, should be done. History will provide some guidance um, as advisors deal with, uh, and clients deal with these decisions. First, since 1927, there have been 26 years in the stock market uh, in which the stock market total return, as measured by the S&P 500, topped 20%, excluding 2013 according to Ibbotson and Associates. In 17 of the years, uh, after a 20-plus percent return, the stock market had positive re-returns, ranging from a positive 33.07% uh, in 1997 to 5.97% in 1984. So basically, then I just want to be clear in my own mind here, um, there's been 26 years, right, where... Um, the stock market did better than a, a 20% return. Okay. And so 17 of the years, um, so 17 times out of the 26, the next year was positive as well. Yeah. So pretty good, pretty good proportion of the time. Yeah, reasonable, um, for sure. And, um, and, and, and the range of positive returns following a, a, a 20% or greater uh, return was anywhere from positive 33% to about 6%. Bad. In nine of the years uh, following the re- following, the returns were were negative, and those ranged from a negative three point two two percent to a negative thirty eight point five nine percent. So, by by no means a guarantee that next year we're going to have a positive year. Right? Um, that's a pretty wild range of of returns, and I would be more inclined to say the research would show that there's less relevancy to what happened the previous year to the current year, and that these statistics, I wouldn't be shocked to see that they probably um, are reasonably close to what you would expect in any particular year. Whether you had a positive year that was better than 20% or, right. or less, or even a negative year, um, we know that in any single year, it's somewhere around 70% of the time that, that uh, equity, U.S. equities have outperformed treasury bills, for example. Right. Um, so the market has a propensity to do to do better 
uh, over the course of you. There are more positive individual one-year periods than there are negative, which is good. That That's why we invest in the equity market. However, there's still always that risk that even though it's less frequent, that you're going to have a negative 38% year in the market. Yep. Uh, but based on the history alone, a positive return next year is almost twice as likely as a negative return if we just looked at those statistics. In fact, the odds are better than that because four of the negative years following those strong positive years, they occurred between 1928 and 1939, which was during the Great Depression, as we all know, and uh, only five occurred between 1940 and 2012. Wow. So, um, sorry, I had to turn, I, I printed this. Um, further, the declines following strong positive years have been modest since 1940, with the worst being 11.87% in 1946. Since 1928, the worst decline following a strong year was 38.59%, which was in uh, 1937, following the 27.92% uh, gain that occurred in 1936. But again, that was during the Depression. On the other hand, the 20% plus gains often uh, have been followed by substantial gains the following year. For example, the 45% gain in 1954 was followed by a 26% gain in 1955. And the 37% gain in 1995 was followed by a 22.64% gain in 1996. And following a 33% gain in 1997, even, there was a 28%, a whopping 20% gain in 1998 and a 20.87% gain in 1999. So I think the moral of this story, for me at this point of, the, of, of this and what I think we would subscribe to, mm -hmm. is simply because the market has gone up doesn't necessarily, does not mean it's going to go down next year. Sure. So if that's been on your mind and you're thinking that way, um, that doesn't bear out in the statistics. It's actually quite the opposite, that you have a greater, greater odds um, that we'll have a positive year if we just are looking at how that worked. Yeah. Uh, we've got to take a quick break, though, Ethan. Why don't we take that? We'll finish this article and move on to, to more discussion about how to position yourself next year and what this all means. Sounds good. Again, if you want to call in on the program, do so at 866-472-5790 or email contact at empiradio.com. We'll be right back after this break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. 
Are you a decision maker in your organization, a mid-level manager, or a team member? Stepping Stones to Everyday Success with host Kimberly Stewart is a program designed to provide you with tidbits and tools you need to achieve results no matter where you are in your organizational structure. Interaction is key, and you'll have opportunities to share your ideas, comments, and questions. Listen to Stepping Stones to Everyday Success, live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're, we're back on Empirical Investing Radio. And uh, I'm Ken, and he's Ethan. That's right. And we're we're here together having a, a good time in Seattle. So <laughs> uh, we were reading the article about mapping out the game plan, and uh, I, I thought this was relevant because I've, I've heard a, I've heard a little of this uh, in meeting with different investors, sure. and individuals. You know, yeah, yeah. hey, we, we've had a good year. What what does that mean? Are we overvalued? You know, should I should we start paring back or rebalancing? And um, they do a good job of presenting some of the, the author of this article here, um, uh, did a good job, I don't see the name of this, of, uh, of presenting the statistics around that. And um, let's take a look. Countering that history is the fact that after four or five years of steady gains, the market often has stumbled. For example, following the aforementioned run gains of 1995 to 99, the market had losses 2000, 2001, 2002. Likewise, in 2003 and uh, through the 7 period, uh, which was followed by a 36.55% loss of you know, 2008. Since then, we've had five positive years in a row. Time Is it time for another tumble? That's interesting. I mean, you're comparing the current situation versus, well, the causes of the, the crash in 2000, right, was a tech, tech bubble. One of the differences following that run-up uh, was that valuations, as far as if we were looking, he's talking using the S&P 500, for example. Right. And valuations in that particular part of the U.S. stock market had gotten to historically high levels. Correct. Uh, separate from that, they'd had uh, historically high levels of earnings growth, which was why the valuation got high. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard to sustain for into the future that kind of that kind of earnings growth, right? And then to justify it with an, a historically high multiple, I think at the peak we were somewhere in the forties, mid forties of a, a price to earnings ratio. So it, it's certainly uh, not to be discounted that if we have several years of you know excessive returns, um, coupled with how do we get those? Well, it was above average growth. Is that sustainable? Couple that with not only that, now people are willing to pay any price for it. Yeah. Uh, it would certainly be a, a, a time of caution for me. So I think that's how I would lo- approach all of this. And the other comment about that would be, well, if you owned other securities uh, outside of the large growth, basically, which is predominantly what the S&P 500 was at that time, mm-hmm. small, small value uh, 
international things like that reads overall you've got a you you would have seen a pretty reason uh, a much less of a dramatic decline in your portfolio so in 2000 2001 and 2002 that was a time period where global diversification actually paid off uh, and worked very well mm -hmm. relative to focusing on just technology or large cap for example in the US the 2003 through 7 period was a good was a good recovery period and in, in that case I don't know that the market uh, well, I wouldn't say that the market as a whole was on a global basis was significantly out of line or out of whack right uh, but what was driving it and what ultimately caused the real estate bubble to collapse and then the the domino effect of that uh, was certainly an unpredictable event um, that you know really pushed everything down. I don't know that it was a function of the market just having done well. Or, or having um, like excessive valuations of that. Right, matter, right. right. Um, so anyway, they're, they're, but it's, it is inevitable that if the, the market has this history of going through, um, it's not a smooth ride. It's these, these, you know, bumps and jumps that, and setbacks all along the way. Uh, you know where the market will do very poorly for a while, and then boom, it takes off, and right. and you get the long-term average return of say ten percent in the S and P uh, rarely comes in ten percent increments. It, it comes in these spurts of, you know, this year in the S and P we're getting twenty some percent, right, and uh, well twenty six percent, but it could be it could be negative next year. Mm -hmm. Uh, as much weight as advisors can place on history, as John Maynard Keynes said, history repeats, but not exactly. That's a very profound statement either. Investors and their advisors who have heavy equity positions can take some comfort from this history, and others might take it in consideration when deciding whether or not to increase their equity positions. But other factors should be considered. First, the economic recovery has been and remains slow. Corporations are not yet investing for the future. Government policies are also weighing on corporate investment decisions. At some point, low corporate investment must hurt future corporate profitability. Second, the capital markets are waiting, awaiting signs that the Federal Reserve is ready to begin tapering its bond buying activities. When tapering begins, it will likely negatively affect both stock and bond markets. But by how much is anybody's guess? Third, Robert Schiller's stock market valuation model based on cyclically adjusted price earnings ratios is flashing signs right now that the market is overvalued suggesting that investors should reduce their holdings many other analysts are suggesting that a five or ten percent correction in the market is overdue advisors should be discussing all of these issues with their clients as part of their year-end reviews and debating what changes if any should be made to their portfolios over the next year and beyond so that's that, that's the overall Article, I'd love to hear your thoughts about this. I mean, I don't know that I'm any better off. I don't have any more information. I, I don't think than I had before I read the article. Um, I mean, looking at, and some of the stuff. I mean, gee, it's all very reasonable. Uh, actually, I think reasonably well written uh, as well. A um, couple points, I, I guess I'd mention. One is the Federal Reserve. They just, you know, Bernanke made uh, his last um, statement after the Fed meetings and. Uh, the market took it very good. They were they're actually going to begin tapering very soon. It sounds like in, in tune of ten billion a month. So instead of eighty five billion dollars a month, we said five billion dollars a month of buying bonds. Um, and the market went gangbusters yesterday, about <coughs> three hundred points in the Dow almost. Um, so uh, interesting point there. I guess it's funny how that 
you know, that happened six months earlier in May, as an example, or, or June one was, um, just the hint of that drove the market down significantly, and bonds down too, just like that person saying here. But this time actually was the opposite effect, at least for stocks anyhow, and I guess bonds were pretty flat yesterday, so kind of interesting. You never know what you're going to get when that type of stuff happens, I guess, particularly in, the time, in terms of timing and, and magnitude. And we talked about this second thing before too, which is Robert Schiller's uh, market valuation model to see if, you know, how, how we use the P-E ratio model for stock market valuations. Um, and based on a 10-year, I guess, cyclical averages, he can say that either markets are overvalued or undervalued. Um, I don't know. My, my, my opinion is that it's reasonable in this period of time to have even slightly higher than average valuations simply because bond returns, bond yields, I should say, are so low. It's a good time to probably support higher valuations than normal, I would say. Um, so that's something to consider, I guess. I still don't have the answers as to what exactly is going to happen with the market, but I think as long as you're planning for the long term and, and have that view in mind when you're making investment decisions, you really probably want to steward too, too far, far, of course. I would, you know, say. would you would you feel comfortable, Ethan, saying that um, the lessons we can learn from this uh, these these market downturns? One is always stay diversified. So don't focus in any sure. one area. Um, speak to your advisor. We've been doing a lot of investment reviews, and I'll offer this to our listeners again. There's no fee for this or anything, but we're taking in their portfolios and we're looking at all the different asset classes that we like to include. And we think there's a valuable diversification benefit of including into a portfolio. And oftentimes, portfolios tend to gravitate towards things that have done okay recently. Um, so, if, for example, U.S. stocks have done well. I think I would suggest if, if, if you're looking at your strategy, uh, the fact that, that, uh, that the U.S. market or the S&P has done quite well the last year um, relative to emerging market stocks as an example. Um, you might be overweighted in that category. Um, and if you were picking funds right now or investments based on returns, um, you'd be heading into those areas. And so one of the things I would suggest is don't get caught up into that. Um, so if we looked at the first downturn, the tech bubble, that's where people really got punished hard. Mm -hmm. uh, is Let's say that, that things are a little overvalued in certain areas. Well, that's okay as long as we're not over-concentrated in that one area. And yep. um, so it, it, one, one of the things I would look at is, hey, is my, don't pile into equities simply because they've gone up. Right. Um, because while some people may be saying, hey, maybe now's a good time to, to reduce the, the equity, that's the difference. A lot of people, historically I've seen, wait until after that things have done really well to pile in mm -hmm. and change, change their appetite for their for their risk um, allocation because it's very tempting, particularly last year. If you look at what was the return right on a on a, uh, a bond portfolio, and you go, "Wow, that was that was really low." I could have done substantially better. That's all of the you know the mind games we play on on ourselves. You know, it's wow. I could have if I had just a, a world stock portfolio. I almost got twenty percent so far. You know, and versus yeah. a few percent in a bond portfolio. Uh, and and we've seen money coming out of the bond, out of the bond stuff. But uh, our approach has always been: let's take a look at the amount of risk that you need to take. Um, let's realize that right now bond yields are low, but that's an, an a necessary evil to reduce the volatility. If the market does go down next year, and 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 we need that money, we're going to have to. The, 
one of the prices we're going to have to pay is, well, geez, if it's gone up, we missed some of this upside return by not being in all stocks. But knowing that nobody predicted those kind of returns, uh, nobody does it consistently, far better to design a portfolio that on the long term will get you the return you need, but won't derail you. Exactly. Um, you know what I mean? Or derail, particularly if you're in a retirement situation. Prevent you from making irrecoverable yeah. mistakes, right? So, That's so don't don't load up on I, I, don't load up on stocks just because they've done well. But also, I, I'm I'm not suggesting that you sell. Now, rebalancing is something we always recommend, and that was part of the equation: should you rebalance or not? Right. Well, yeah, I definitely think you should. And by nature of doing that, it has a tendency, um, in a very simplistic approach to that, to uh, to be buying things that that are probably uh, Less have a have a lower valuation, and uh, emerging markets is a perfect example. You'd be selling these uh, larger developed stocks or even small cap. Exactly, you'd be buying some emerging markets just through a systematic rebalancing process. Right. Anyway, we have to take one more break, Ethan, before our last segment of the show. Let's do so, and we'll be right back on Empirical Investing Radio. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait. They just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio. Your host here, Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith. Uh, just wrapping up, uh, I guess we're, we're finished with the art, part of the article, I guess, uh, 
called uh, Mapping Out Your Next Year's Game Plan. And then I just had one more, maybe just one more thought on that. Yeah. And you were touching on them right before the break, and, and that is the idea of, of rebalancing, right? You know, moving, moving from assets that I've appreciated to others that maybe haven't done as well, and you mentioned specifically emerging markets as, as they haven't done as well this particular year. Um, a lot of times that's hard for, for individual investors to do. Well, hey, why would I buy something that's doing terrible? Is the the idea right? Yeah, I mean, I, I get the message, uh, but at the same time, you know, I, I, when I when I walk clients through that type of thing, because I get those questions often enough, and the truth is, we don't know exactly what asset classes or how they're going to perform over certain increments of time. Um, so, in our view, there are there are certain things like, like core asset classes that we have exposure to at all times. I mean, that we we do because they have a positive expected return, and over time, those those returns from those various asset classes tend to be Somewhat similar, you know, over the long run, anyhow, given certain things for, uh, you know, uh, value stocks versus growth and, and small versus large. But in general, a fairly, fairly uh, narrow range of expected returns over the long run with all the asset classes that we include in the portfolio. Um, so that necessarily means that if one does worse for a period of time, if it's going to get somewhere pretty close to the average long term return, it has to necessarily do better in the future at some point to get there. That's why one other reason why I think, well, at least how I explain it. To get clients to, to understand that hey, rebalancing is the idea, not not you know tracking the hot stock and only trying to only those only those asset classes, uh, include all of them at a, in a particular proportion, and basically stick with it, be disciplined because the returns will come eventually from those asset classes that have recently underperformed. So one to point that yeah, out. Yeah, your I think that's a great point, Ethan, and I I was just thinking while you were explaining that, um, in in my own personal experience with just my own investing and and. Um, and people close to me, um, there is a distinction, I think, between what we would like to work and what actually works best. Right, that's and, true. And I, and I think sometimes when we're telling the story of why we invest the way or we recommend, uh, even our, our friends, our family, the way we invest, mm-hmm. um, there is a there has to be a separation between what I would like to work, what I'd like to think could work, and what has actually worked. And it's not always easy to cope with that because what I'd like to work is for me to perfectly be able to time in and out of the market yeah. and become a multi-billionaire just because of my a genius, my market genius, or that I can figure out a trend or I can trade in and out all day. Um, there's no lack of desire on our part as advisors. If we could do that for our clients, I, w- I, would, I would love to bring that kind of value and, and see every one of them become, you know, ultimately extremely wealthy right uh so it's not that we're negative people when we we say hey that this is not the best approach getting in and out of the market based on an article that some individual wrote or or a gut feeling or some particular sign or or something you're looking at it i'd like to believe that it could work um it's just in my own experience and particularly earlier in my career of 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 trading and, and and trying to employ these strategies, and not just me looking at people who are some of the smartest people in the world, and I say in the entire world, and and how how some of them can do very well for a short period of time, and ultimately you see their their strategy completely collapse and implode. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a difference again between what I'd like to see work, and in reality what actually works best. Yes, and when you get when you hold yourself accountable, particularly when you're in the business of providing advice, um, 
if if you have some standard there anyway, um, it it um, a lot of a lot of different headphone noises going on here. Um, it, you 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 come to the conclusion that um, I'm just kind of got got a little thrown there here. Sorry about that. I'm sorry. Um, you come to the conclusion that you have to do what what historically has worked best. Yeah, in spite of how you feel about it, it's kind of a strange thing. So I, I agree with you 100 percent on all that. It makes it makes uh, it, it sometimes hard to, to admit to yourself that hey, I don't know exactly what's going to happen when, uh, and there most nobody does really. And so the best available strategy is to to not pretend that you do. In my view, yeah, if you make a commitment to that, then you'll let you'll let the the evidence guide your your path. Right, and um, you're far less likely to make emotional and very fringe type decisions that that really sometimes are irreversible mm-hmm. um, and and that and therein lies the trick I think to success right well hey, we got a couple minutes here left I okay. thought we'd quickly go over uh, this last article called uh, pay attention to state estate taxes by Michael Fultz oh, I still financial planning yeah from uh, looks like this is uh, the Wall Street Journal is that right yeah, yeah, this came right That's out of the future. Here's the article. I thought this thing had this article had two points I thought were pretty interesting. Uh, it starts like this. In the last 30 years, advisors have looked at federal estate taxes much more closely than they have state estate taxes. But now the federal exemption has risen to $5.25 million, and unused amounts can be transferred to surviving spouses. Uh, so a few people end up owing federal estate tax, which is true. I mean, the combined exemption there is about $10.5 million. So a lot fewer people have to worry about federal estate taxes. Uh, that means financial advisors should be paying closer attention to estate tax laws in individual states and talking, taking steps to mitigate those bills for clients. Uh, there are 20 tax jurisdictions, 19 states, and Washington, D.C. that levy their own estate or inheritance taxes, uh, which can be as much as 19%. Also, each state has different estate tax exemptions. New York, for example, is $1 million, while New Jersey is only about uh, $675,000. So it's uh, the different amounts for for each, and in Washington, I think the state the state estate tax is two million dollars for those of us who are here. Oh, okay, um, as a reference, uh, where where a client retires is key. Some clients may be willing to reallocate relocate rather to states with beneficial tax laws. For those who don't, one way to mitigate their estate tax bill is to set up estate planning vehicles in jurisdictions where there is no tax, which is very interesting. I thought this can be done if the client doesn't reside in that state. Often. A husband and wife will have a revocable living trust that provides for a credit shelter trust upon death. It is becoming more popular to put estate, tanning, estate tax planning vehicles like these in, a place, in place during clients' lifetimes. We can put assets in that credit shelter trust, and you don't necessarily have to create the trust in the state in which you reside. So that's fascinating to me. I, I, I didn't uh, I really thought about this much too much before this article. But as an example, if the client... Well, we're all on a journey. We're all learning here. Right. So I was excited about the, the large uh, estate, um, the, the, the federal exemptions at uh, $5.25 million per person, right. and knowing that the state uh, state tax is $2 million. Well, you, you have to do some planning there, and a lot of times these, these various trusts will help you mitigate state estate taxes. But another way to do that is simply to open a state, uh, open a trust, rather, in a state that doesn't have such estate taxes, which is a very, I think, novel thing. Um, so, for example, South Dakota doesn't have a, a state trust income tax, and where, for example, Illinois does. So if you're a resident of Illinois, you can simply have a trust that opens up in, in South Dakota, as an example, and avoid mm-hmm. that element of the tax. I read that very quickly, only because we have very little time. Well, I, I, in conclusion on that, I, you, I don't want to miss out on this part. Uh, they ran a, an internal study um, 
with an examination of income tax, state inheritance and gift tax, real estate tax, and sales tax in various states. They found um, Wyoming, Alaska, South Dakota, Florida, Nevada, New Hampshire, Texas, and Washington. That's our home state here. That's right. uh, Represent some of the best jurisdictions in which to retire. So bring your umbrella and come on out. (laughs) You (laughs) You know? All right. I think that's all we have time for today, Ethan. Uh, I want to wish everyone uh, a happy holiday season and um, all the best for you and your families. You Same for you, Ken. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. And um, I don't know, we have a show next week, Simon? I think so. It's, uh, it's during the Christmas um, holiday. There so so uh, we'll be back in, I guess, the week after. Sounds good. Thanks again. We'll see you later. We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.